Well, good morning. I've got to start with a story. Do you like stories? I'm still trying to figure out if I like this one or not. Once upon a time, December 6, 2009, a certain pastor, Todd Lanting, came to me during the uh, moments of greeting and said, hey, would you like to preach on January 3rd? And I said, yes, and then I proceeded to do what most of you would probably do. Oh, Lord, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> and he gave me some guidance. He said, uh, follow up on the Shema theme and the love theme, and that was easy enough. And so uh, I did get from Todd what the context was. I knew that Paul Wiggs was preaching my favorite sermon ever on the prodigal son the week before. So I knew I couldn't do that one. And I knew that he was going to be talking about membership coming up in January. What Todd failed to tell me was what he was preaching about the next week. So I went home, and I'm laying in bed about midnight, just about asleep, and then all of a sudden, the idea, I'm going to preach this incredible story that Todd hasn't touched on. I'm going to talk about the woman caught in adultery. (laughs) And I'm wide awake. I'm wired. I'm completely on it. I get up. I go to my computer. I sit there and for two hours write the whole thing, including I had this brilliant, inspirational idea. It had to come from God that we would have buckets full of rocks at the door. If you missed the sermon on the 13th of December, 90% of what Todd did was my sermon. (laughs) And so my first reaction was, God, what are you messing with me for? I don't get this. What did you put me through all of that? I lost a couple of hours of sleep. Uh, I thought it was totally your message, which I have come to appreciate totally was God's message. God just wanted to make real, real sure that you heard it. So in case Todd screwed it up that day, (laughs) I was going to give it to you. Well, Todd did a fabulous job. In fact, I I think almost everything I had in my sermon, including dropping, the the title of my sermon was Dropping Your Rock. A total God thing. I really believe that he put us both on the same path at the same time for a purpose that I'm not sure what it is yet. Uh, Other than I've got one in my pocket ready to go so the next time I get called on to preach somewhere else, which happens about once every five years, um, I've got something ready to go if they want it on love. I'm so excited about 2010, I can't hardly stand it, partly because I'm really glad 2009 is done. Do I get an amen on that? Uh, 2009 was a rough year for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, and hey, 2010 could be as well, but I'm an eternal optimist. And uh, the, the more I bask in the love of God, as we've been doing the last several months uh, working through this series, the more excited and the more confident I become in the future. And this church is poised for greatness, to do some incredible things for God and some amazing things for one another. Everything's in place. With the perfect love of God infused into us, there is absolutely no fear going forward, for perfect love casts out fear, according to John. 
And our staff is ready. And everything is in place for us to love like we've never loved before because we're understanding that we are loved like we've never loved before. So, I want to kick off this morning with a, uh, a scripture. And if you would stand with me and read this, it's coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll bet a lot of you had this read at your wedding. I did. And let's read together. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen? Have a seat. This morning, we're going to overview where we've been the last three or four months working through Todd's sermon series. He started with the big theme that God loves you. And then out of that love, we respond to God by loving God back. But the great command of Jesus is that we also love one another because we love God. And I'm going to overlay that theme with something from uh, Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Languages of Love and another book on God's love languages. And understand that God uses a variety of ways to convey love. God's not limited by five love languages. I think God probably has infinite nuances, but there's something convenient and helpful in being able to categorize some ways of understanding God's love for us and our love for one another. And so today we're going to focus on how does God love us in Jesus? And there are five ways. First... There are gifts. If you remember from John's Gospel that was read a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was created by and through the Word. Well, that Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God spoken to us. And through Jesus, Jesus is the co-creator with God. Jesus is the creative agent that brings all of the beautiful creation about. One of the most favorite gifts I ever receive are those quiet moments of awe and wonder looking at God's incredible creation. 
I love the fact that when we open the curtains back here, we're out looking at uh, the mountains. We saw geese flying overhead earlier during one of the songs. It's just majestic. What a gift. And it's a gift from Jesus to you and to me. A gift that we're called on in Genesis to manage well. A second gift that Jesus gives us is himself. He comes from heaven and is incarnate, the word made flesh, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Thirdly, Jesus gives us one of the most incredible gifts, and that's the gift of forgiveness from the cross. Even though we are, just because we're human beings, the ones who put him there. Can you imagine that depth of love? What an incredible, undeserved, unmerited, amazing gift that is. That he forgives the crucifier. He forgives the sinner. And then, towards the end of the Gospels in John 20, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. A gift to us who comes with a lot more gifts that we won't have time to delve into this morning. But what a gift of that Holy Spirit and the Spirit working through human beings inspires them to write down the story. And so the Bible becomes yet another gift of Christ through the Spirit. A second gift that Jesus brings is quality time. Think about his life with us as God with skin on, investing 33 years of God's time to be with us, to hang with us, to identify with us, to share our struggles and our pains and our sorrows, as well as our joys and the love of God. He's walking around in our shoes. And Jesus gave quality time to his disciples to his friends on the road. Can you imagine all of the conversations that happened that didn't get written down? The fun stories that might have been shared around the campfire at night with the disciples and the close friends, at mealtimes in various people's homes. Jesus invested incredible quality of time, especially with the twelve. And certainly we can all think of Mary and Martha. Jesus goes to their home in Bethany. Martha's communicating a whole other language of love that we're going to touch on here in a minute. But Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, enjoying his presence, listening to him, giving him a gift of her time, but really receiving Jesus' gift of quality time. With her, and he commends her for it. Martha, on the other hand, had an entirely different gift, and that was acts of service, and God too speaks to us through acts of service. We see Jesus on the hillside, breaking bread, feeding 5,000 people, doing for them what they could not probably have come up with themselves. We see him healing. There's going to be some overlap here because healing is also a gift of touch, but the gift of healing is an amazing thing that really only the Son of God can give us. 
We see Jesus, Jesus washing feet and encouraging us to be servants and love one another just like that. And we see him cooking breakfast of fish along the seashore. And we think of him also on the cross, serving in an incredible act of service, a sacrifice for our sins. One of my favorite languages is touch, and Jesus also came to physically be present, to make connection physically with people, to touch them. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is touching left and right, even touching the untouchable leopards. A leper reached out his hand and was touched by Jesus, and Jesus says, be clean, and he's cured of leprosy in Matthew 8. In Matthew 15, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and he reaches out and touches her hand. And the fever leaves, and she gets up to wait on him. Later on, two blind men come to Jesus, and he touches them, and they receive their sight. Peter, James, and John are cowering in fear on top of Mount Tabor because they've just seen Jesus transfigured before them. They've seen a vision of Moses and Elijah. And worst of all, they've heard God's voice and they think they're going to die. They're cowering in fear. They can't hardly stand what they've seen. And Jesus comes and touches them to reassure them. He says, get up. Don't be afraid of this. One of the really fun ones, there's a deaf mute. And Jesus takes him aside away from the crowd and sticks his fingers in the man's ears. I think Jesus had a real sense of humor about that. Maybe it was a way to communicate, hey, I'm healing these now, not like just one blanket, you're healed. So here I'm healing your ears. And then he spits and touches the man's tongue. Ick! But Jesus loved to touch people. In fact, it's said that anybody who touched Jesus, whether he initiated it or not, was healed. And then Jesus has this intimate, intimate little picture for us. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked him. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. I don't know about you, but I love the idea of me being that little child sometimes. Aren't there some days in your life when you just need that kind of a language of love from the Lord? Come on, child, sit in your daddy's lap. (laughs) And I really believe that Jesus does reach out and touch us in that way. He touches us through others. And sometimes you can even feel that embrace when you're all alone. 
that embrace of peace and warmth and love that says, you're my child, you're my friend, I love you. And a fifth love language that God gives us through Jesus is that of affirmation. And look at this passage from Matthew 5. They're all sort of packed in here together. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed, 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 blessed are you when people persecute you, insult you, say false things against you because of me. Can you imagine being in the crowd that day? Who? Me? I'm blessed. I'm just this poor beggar looking for a word of hope. And Jesus reaches out to me in my circumstances where I'm feeling like, holy cow, people are lying about me. I'm feeling really broken, poor. I feel like I don't deserve much. And Jesus is saying, I'm blessed. You're blessed. Jesus wants you to know. The last few months, whenever I run into Norm Nadolsky, uh, I didn't ask him if I could say hi to you this morning, uh, but whenever I see Norm, I, I know he's had a tough couple of years. Business has been really hard. And I'll say, Norm, how are you doing? And his response is, I'm blessed. <laughs> he gets it. Because he knows that he is. And then, a little bit later in Matthew's fifth chapter, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Well, salt back then had some real value to it. It was a preservative that kept all of their food fresh, in addition to being a spice. They traded salt like money. You're of value, Jesus says. Make sure you're taking advantage of that before the salt loses its flavor. And this one floors me. Of all the affirmations Jesus gives, he says, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you were the light of the world. The light of the world is telling you that you're the light of the world? Wow. You're to be the light of the world. You're to partner with him to bring that light. We've been talking about that theme this last month. And so our response to being filled up with all of this incredible love is to want to love God back. And so we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all of our might. And we use the same five love languages that God uses for us. We give gifts of our time, our talent, our stuff. I was thinking about uh, stuffing sleeping bags that we weren't using and bringing them to church to send off to Mexico. Our money. Some of us respond to God by giving gifts. Others will respond to God with quality time. We love to spend time in prayer and meditation and fasting and study. For others, it's acts of service. 
And I believe that's Todd's language. Uh, When I walked in this morning, I came down the front row and I saw Todd kneeling right down here. I figured he was praying. But no, that would have been quality time. He was windexing the podium. (laughs) Acts of service. Uh, Somebody, uh, like right in the middle of the service, stole my bottle of water. I really thought it was Todd. Because uh, <laughs> he was sitting right behind me. But uh, he ran out and got a bottle of water for me to replace the one that somehow magically disappeared. still don't know where that went. Acts of service is a way we respond back to God. And touch. Now, it's really tough reaching out and touching the Lord, but when we do it to others... Jesus says, when you do these things to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. And we affirm God back. We sing songs of praise. We give God the credit. And I want to be really clear here. I don't think God is some self-serving being that sits up in heaven going, okay, bring it. (laughs) He doesn't need our love. What he needs is for us to express our love to him. It's for our benefit. And so God is wanting us to respond to him in love so that we will understand how to practice that so that he can get our attention and speak the words to us, go love your neighbor as you love yourself. Take those love languages now and impart them Bless others with them, use them, practice them, and grow the love. And so our third movement this morning is that we love others. And this is often a self-sacrificing love. It is not easy all the time. You may not feel like it, especially when you learn that you have to learn another language. So this morning, I'm going to teach you Hebrew, Chinese, Farsi. Not really. Because these five love languages you can do in English, but you don't even have to use words. But understand that each of us has our own primary love language that we feel most comfortable using, and it'll be a sacrifice to learn somebody else's to speak to them a language they understand as love. So we're going to be creative. We're going to have to adapt ourselves, sometimes in uncomfortable ways, to speak all of the other love languages that are not our primary language. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 19, is speaking about his calling to preach the gospel, speaking in ways that will communicate God's love. Let's look at this. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Ow. I I, I don't want to be a slave. That's like hard, isn't it? To the Jews, I become a Jew to win over the Jews. Okay, so let me get this straight. Uh, If I'm going to follow this, I need to become Jewish too. Todd's working on that, I know. Uh, (laughs) Learning to think Jewish anyway, think Hebrew. So to those under the law, I become one like like one under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. 
To the weak I become weak so that I can win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul adapted not only his words but his behaviors. Even I'm sure when it was really tough and awkward and self-sacrificing for the sake of offering Christ's love. And that's our task too. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to love God by loving one another. Even the ones that don't look like they're very lovable. Earlier, you took a look at the self-assessment in the bulletin. I'd like to refer back to that. There are five love languages that Chapman comes up with. It's important to know which one yours is because your tendency is going to gravitate toward using that love language to bless others. And the first one is, I feel really loved when somebody gives me gifts or other tangible expressions of love. If that's you, your love language is probably gifts. The second one is I feel really loved when a person gives me undivided attention, spends time alone with me. Your love language is probably quality time. Third is acts of service. I feel really loved when somebody pitches in to help me, perhaps running errands or taking on my household chores. The fourth one is I feel really loved when somebody expresses feelings for me through physical contact. Your love language is physical touch. And the fifth is I feel really loved when people express how grateful they are for me and for the simple everyday things that I do. They affirm me. They build me up. They're the Barnabas in my life, and that's the love language of affirmation. So let me give you an example of how all five of these play with and against each other. If you know my wife, Becky, you know about her that her love language is acts of service. Now, that's a love language that Becky learned. Because when she was growing up, her love language was was affirmations. Until the birth of her second child, Stephen, who was premature. Stephen is one of the reasons we felt loved here at West Bowles because he was so welcomed by the staff and the congregation because Stephen was in a wheelchair, nonverbal. At his early 20 years of age, he was uh, unable to do anything for himself. And so Becky learned over 24 years how to love Stephen, and it was all acts of service because we had to do everything for him. We had to feed him and dress him and bathe him and do everything for him. And so Becky's love language became acts of service. Now, enter me into the picture. 20 years ago, uh, we started dating. And it wasn't until maybe 14 years ago that I learned the love languages. And I had one of those aha experiences. Becky knows how to give love by doing acts of service. So when she is cleaning the house, she feels very, I hope, (laughs) loving 
Or like, I ought to appreciate that and feel loved and want to respond and help her with those kind of household chores. Becky was feeling really loved when I emptied the dishwasher. Now, I did not feel an iota of love emptying the dishwasher or folding the laundry or taking out the trash. But when I did those things, she felt loved. Now, my love languages are affirmations and touch. And so when Becky was emptying the dishwasher, she was not affirming me. She was going like, I wish Jim would do this so I would feel loved. (laughs) And I was pouring some affirmations on her, which because of prior history, she knew that language and felt pretty good about that. But when I would reach out and touch her hand, it was like, "Mm, didn't matter whether I did or not. (laughs) It's not her love language. She doesn't respond to that. So we were going along like just missing each other. We loved one another, but we weren't communicating that love effectively until we learned the love languages. And I went, wow, this is really cool. Now I get to choose to self-sacrifice and empty the dishwasher because it'll put love deposits in Becky's love bank. It's going to make her feel good. And you know what? After you do that enough, you start feeling a little bit more loving about it. (laughs) And Becky, for her part, understood that when I left in the morning, if she would just say, I love you, you're awesome, I'm pumped for the day. (laughs) And I felt loved. Maybe you can apply some of this to your significant others in life, your kids, your spouse, the people you work with. Now, second example. Becky's mother especially in later years, just wanted to spend quality time with her family and her friends. Becky, acts of service, walks into mom's apartment, starts cleaning things up, which it desperately needed. Mom is sitting there in her recliner, not even able to articulate this, but saying, please just come talk to me, sit down, stop fussing about Martha. Just spend some time with me. And when we learned the love languages, Becky rearranged her priorities to give mom the gift to reassure her that she was loved by just sitting with her, being together, talking. Our son Brian, on the other hand, is a gifts guy. He can milk a gift for a month. He's got a birthday month. (laughs) Figures out how to stretch out receiving the gifts from different family members at different times. He'll get a, a package and he will examine it, figure out, okay, it's the size and the shape of, start guessing what it is. He'll shake it. He'll sniff it. (laughs) He'll slowly unwrap it. He just wants all the juice out of that gift. That's his love language. So when I come to Brian with my love language of touch and want to give him a big hug, he's okay with that, but it's not his most favorite thing. He's a little stiff and awkward about it. So if I want to bless Brian, I give him a gift. 
That's not just about the feelings. Yeah, does God want you to feel good? Sure. You'll be more powerful. You'll be more positive. But folks, there are times when we just don't feel like speaking somebody else's love language. And so love becomes a choice. Not how we're feeling. It's a deliberate attitude. It's the agape kind of love in the Bible that is unconditional. That puts others' needs ahead of our own. That loves without condition, without reservation, without concern for self. And so I want you to go practice. Start today. There are people sitting alongside of you. You don't know what their love language is. Give them all five. (laughs) That'd be a good discipline for you. On the way out of here today, in your homes, at your work this week, see if you can figure out what the people's love languages are who surround you every day. George's is probably touch. How many of you physically had contact with George this morning? (laughs) Holy cow! George, he can't see. He's probably at least a half, two-thirds of the people you've touched. (laughs) Boom. Yeah, he's... Get them all like guards sorted out later, huh? (laughs) Um, So you might want to give George a touch. But... uh, Let's honor God by putting our own needs aside and serving one another, by giving gifts, by investing our time, by serving, doing things for others, by touching, and by building one another up with our affirmations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love us with an unfathomable love. It's incredible. We don't understand it. But when we open ourselves to it, boy, do we enjoy it. Keep us mindful of how much you love us so that we can keep our love banks filled and overflowing and loving you back, but let us not stop there. Let us express our love for you, Lord, by loving our neighbors, the ones we like and the ones we don't, the ones who look like they need it and the ones who don't. Let us love the ones who we would really rather avoid. Lord, we thank you for this amazing flow of love that is about to be unleashed in and through our church and around your world. For this we're going to do because we love you. Amen.